1: Rockheads, put down that fluffer nutter and Frito sandwich and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the Internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number four twenty with guest Alan Stevens. Recorded live Monday, February second, two thousand nine. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Saki Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first class customer service. Online at www.telrik.com, And by Data Dynamics. Makers of Reports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... Nine out of ten leading economists have predicted eleven of the last two recessions. Carl Franklin!
2: Thank you very much and welcome back to DotNet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. We're here for your listening pleasure, for your .NET listening pleasure for the next hour or so. Hey, Mr. Campbell, how are you doing? It's Thursday. I like Thursday. Thursday is good because we get to goof off a little bit. Yeah. Not goof off, but, you know, it's not as technical. Have a little more fun. But Better Know Framework is pretty technical. Ooh, is it? Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. Well, it's not technical and I don't know. You'll, you'll have to see for yourself. I'm talking about Windows Presentation Foundation again, WPF, because there's so much to do. I think I'm going to wallow around in WPF for a little while. Is that all right with you? Works for me. All right. So we're going to talk about UI automation. And Microsoft UI automation is a new accessibility framework for Windows available on all operating systems that support WPF. And it provides programmatic access to most user interface elements on the desktop, enabling assistive technology products such as screen readers to provide information about the UI to end users and to manipulate the UI by means other than standard input. UI automation also allows automated test scripts to interact with the UI. Doesn't that sound cool? It does sound cool. So the main namespace for this is System.Windows.Automation, and uh, that's the for for UI automation client developers. And what you do is you find automation element objects and register for UI automation events and work with UI automation control patterns. Okay. So that's pretty much where it is. There's a whole bunch to this. It's not as simple as I'm making it sound. You want to check out the documentation for UI automation in WPF, but there's some really good stuff in there. System.windows.automation. Know it. Live it. Learn it. And, hey, why not love it? Awesome. You said uh, before we started recording that you have an incredible email for us. I have an incredible email for you. I'll tell you how incredible this email is. Or is it just good? No,
0: no, it's an incredible email because the person who sent us the email has asked not to be named. Oh, okay, all right, all right. So we're going to leave off his name entirely. Right. I'm just going to go. Do I know off. who it is? Uh, no, you probably won't figure it out actually. And all right, but you'll figure out some things. Just come on, go along with me. On all this. all right, I'm with you. Hi, Carl and Richard. I've been listening to your show since February of 2008, mostly during the bus and bike commutes. I really like hearing about developments in the .NET world on your show, even though I work almost exclusively in native C++ with Calm. Oh! Even if it's not directly applicable most of the time, hearing about it helps stave off the tunnel vision of working on the same project as long as I have. Hmm. In the interest of full disclosure, that project is... Microsoft Office Outlook. Dun-dun-dun! Based on that... You may already be able to guess some of what I'm writing about. Yeah. One. guess. Outlook's thread count. Yep. Outlook's thread count has come up a few times on the show, and it usually results in Carl
2: asking, what is Outlook doing? Yeah. like <laughs> sorry right. What are you doing? I used to actually yell at the computer and knock on it. What <laughs> are you doing? I'm what are you just doing? logging on. <laughs> what this. This question has gone unanswered several
0: times, particularly since show 361 when Jeff Richter Richter. talked about thread pools. Yeah. And as I recall, why they shouldn't have caps on the number of threads. Yeah. The answer to Carl's question is, in a way, almost nothing. Hmm. Outlook uses a thread pool which keeps extra threads in a waiting state against future need. The trick is, if a thread is blocked and waiting on a kernel object, the scheduler knows not to schedule any cycles for that thread. They don't wake up and do any work until the thread pool signals them to do so. So aside from memory usage, like the stack space that Jeff Richter mentioned, and some bookkeeping overhead, they're practically free in that state.
2: That's not true. Uh, There's overhead in, in in the scheduler because it has to go to those threads and check to see if they're awake or not and then threads that are constantly waking up and going to sleep it's you might as well just start a new thread i don't i don't know i'm not i, a, I don't know that I i'm agree not either. down there i'm not a programmer at that level so uh, my first inclination is i mean i i trust that these guys know what they're doing but you have to hope but come on does does word do that do other applications do that yeah i don't know the answer to that i don't know let me
0: keep going. All right. While the thread pool in Outlook could probably use some more tuning to avoid such high thread counts, the point I'm trying to make is that the thread count is not a very good indicator of how much work Outlook or most other apps are demanding of the system. If the application uses a thread pool, that number is usually highly inflated compared to how many of those threads are actually ever running in parallel. Huh. Which explains why Outlook is hung all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But wait, there's more. Okay. Number two, 64-bit versus COM. All right. Yeah. All right. I've also heard a lot of comments about how 64-bit is incompatible with COM, but it's not. It's true that you can't load a 32-bit DLL as an in-process COM server into a 64-bit process and vice versa, but you can get around those in a couple of ways. The more preferable is, of course, to recompile and port your COM DLL to 64-bit so that it can be loaded directly into a 64-bit process. However, in cases of extreme need, you can also write a host process application of the opposite bitness to host the DLL and expose the COM interface through an out-of-process COM via local RPC. Okay, that
2: makes total sense. And I think where we were getting stuck, Richard, is that COM uh, COM interfaces are 32-bit. Right. But that doesn't mean that if it's a 64-bit uh, DLL that it can't chunk down. Well,
0: and, or you recompile it at 64-bit, and
2: so now the interface is 64-bit. Right, but the addresses are, are still 32-bit. Know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. All right. Did I say chunk? I meant thunk. Thunk, not thunk. chunk, yeah. Yeah, thunk.
0: While dotnet applications are probably orders of magnitude easier to port to 64-bit, 64-bit is not the doom of native code or com that you seem to think it is. Uh, we don't think that. Yeah, I know. Maintainability is far more likely to do them in, but that'll probably happen shortly after the last cobol
2: programmer dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want any evidence to back up this anonymous uh, emailer's claim, it, 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 which is absolutely true, just take a look at all the software that runs flawlessly on your 64-bit version of Windows. Yeah, true. So Windows on Windows works. It does work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, you ready for item number three? All right. The next version of Office. Yep. Oh, wait, a black panel fan filled with ninjas just pulled up. I gotta go. But I love the show. Thanks.
2: That was worth waiting for. I told you it was a great email. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's emails like that that make this job so much
0: fun. Oh, yeah. And, And to our nameless Microsoft employee, thank you. And yes, we'll send you a mug. Absolutely. And if you'd like a mug, send us an email. .NET Rocks at franklins.net.
2: Richard, it's my honor to introduce Alan Stevens uh, on the show. Not only was he a finalist in Speaker Idol at TechEd 2007, Alan Stevens is a father, a geek, a vegetarian, and I don't know why we need to know that, but okay, and a software artisan living in Knoxville, Tennessee. Isn't vegetables what food eats, Nice.
3: Alan? (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, I just wanted to put a little personality in the bio. Because okay, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we don't get enough of that otherwise, right? Right. Alan regularly speaks at industry conferences and user groups. He is an open space technology facilitator, a Microsoft MVP in C Sharp, a member of ASP Insiders. And while, uh, while when Alan's not playing with his kids, enjoying a fine cigar, singing, or playing his acoustic guitar, he occasionally updates his blog at netcave.org Welcome Alan. Hi guys. So, that's the first time we met was speaker Idol.
3: That's right. And that was speaker Idol 2008. It wasn't 2007? I you said 2007. But it was uh, last year.
2: It was only last year. Oh, you know yeah. my my last year hasn't adjusted yet. That's what I it understand. is. Right. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great
0: oh. way of describing it too, Carl. It's just a memory chunk. Last year is right. I need to. I need a new segment. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> Are you
2: talking about your brain having a page fault? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> That's basically, it. Need to update my segment pointer. So, um, so in that, you did a, a nice little five minute presentation on. Um, I think it was the importance of test driven development, right?
3: Yes, it was. Yeah, and that was a challenging talk to give. Five, Five minutes, minutes isn't much time at all.
2: Yeah, but you you did it though. I mean, you got to the final. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, of course, test-driven development. is only a, a small part of what you do, but um, I I got a chance to to see you at CodeMash, mm-hmm. and uh, I also got a chance to see you um, talking with the Microsoft uh, community leaders. We had a sort of a roundtable thing, uh, and quite the outspoken person. Mm-hmm.
3: You are. I was introduced to the head of developer and platform evangelist by my friend Josh Holmes as, this is Alan Stevens, our squeaky wheel. <laughs> yeah. You definitely love to stir the pot. And though. I said that I squeak because I care. Yeah. yeah.
2: What's causing the squeak these days?
3: I don't know. I'm not really uh, complaining about things these days. I'm more trying to encourage better use of the resources that we have, encourage more people to get involved, uh, make the events that we hold in the community more effective. Uh, That's where my passion is right now.
2: Well, and that was the word I was going to use. I I didn't use the word complaint. I mean, it's obviously that you're very passionate about the the issues of community and especially about Microsoft's involvement in them. I mean, we were in the middle of Ohio, Sandusky, (laughs) Ohio, in January in a snowstorm. And there was what almost a thousand people there.
3: It was a big conference. I think it's a, around five fifty.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: Still impressive that people impressive. came out despite the weather.
2: Yeah. So in these these um, smaller conferences are are you know, and I say small relatively relative to Tech Ed, you know these right. these conferences that are bigger than a code camp, but. You know, smaller than a TechEd or a Dev Connections or a VS Live are popping up all over the place, and, and people are flocking to them. They're, they seem to be, you know, cheaper and um, in places that you would normally not go to. So if you're tired of going to Orlando every year or to Las Vegas every year, not that you'd ever get tired of that, but. Um. Oh, no. No, never get tired
3: of Orlando. Richard hates Orlando. <laughs> I know. I know Orlando as well as I know Knoxville at this point. I've been there so often. Oh man. <laughs> well, the thing about these events, these uh, we'll call them medium-sized events, because you're right, they're not as big as TechEd or PDC, uh, but they're larger than a Code Camp or a Day of .net. I really feel like these events, and more of them are coming up all the time, have an opportunity to reach a greater audience than what you normally see at a code camp and pull people from the part of the Microsoft audience or even just the developer audience in general, in from just the nine-to-fivers to to the more passionate group. Because there's a group of us that are just out to lunch about this development thing, right? I write code all day as my job, and then I talk about it and study it as my hobby. That's not normal. But there are normal developers out there that uh, these events have a way of drawing them in and showing them that, hey, there's this community of passionate people, and I can learn a lot from them. And they're a lot of fun to hang out with.
2: Now, you uh, are uh, the open space guy. I mean, when we talk about open space technology, most people think about the just the, when you go to a conference and there's a bunch of people with whiteboards. But there's like a whole book and a whole science to this, isn't there?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Open space technology is where I'm currently putting my energy in the community, and it's just a way of holding a meeting is what it comes down to. But there's some certain structure and rules to it, and then it's self-organizing and emergent, which is, I think, why it really appeals to the agile software development community, to begin with, because they're used to doing emergent iterative design and having their software happen that way. So it's a natural fit for them to have uh, meetings and events happen that way as well.
2: And there's a, there's a Bible for open space technology, right?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Harrison Owen is the person who created uh, open space and coined the phrase. And he has a book called The uh, User's Guide to Open Space Technology. And that can be found on Amazon at com slash 144L. And anybody interested in running or hosting an open space, uh, I would highly encourage you to go and get a copy of that book. Your time and money will be well spent in studying that book. It's very thoughtful. Uh, and it's largely a manual for meeting facilitators. Uh, and so it, it's very important to be clear that people that attend an open space don't need to know the background on open space. They just need to be passionate about the topic of the meeting. They don't have to understand how it works. That's somebody else's job, and that's my job when I run these open space events or facilitate them.
0: Well, and I've been to a number where you were there, and they seem to be some of the most active open spaces I've ever seen. I've also been to events where the open space area was a sign on the room that said, Open
3: Space. Yeah, that's that's part of the rap that open space has gotten. Uh and it's my it's my mission right now, like I said to bring people who are cu- at least curious about the developer community into the more passionate group of us that really enjoy sharing ideas. Uh and also bring their ideas and thoughts to this group because we become an echo chamber after a while. Those of us that are on Twitter and IRC all the time and we go to all the events, we see each other at every event, we already know each other's counterpoint to the arguments. So my goal right now is to bring new people in and get their perspectives in. Because if you're sitting in a circle having a conversation and nobody in the room has ever worked in a large enterprise, there are certain assumptions on the table about software development that are just flat wrong. Not every software development organization is made up of young guys with faux hawks and tight black t shirts, mm-hmm. and there there can be a uh, a kind of an inbred level of assumption in those conversations. so I wanted to take open spaces as a way to bring in more perspectives to our uh, to our community this passionate developer community
2: and it, you know it doesn't it, it, it seems to be um it's not as structured as, you know, the basic, you know, business meeting Well, I can't remember the name of the you know, the classic like taking minutes and going over right all that stuff. But but and it and it also doesn't seem to be like, you know, everybody passes the talking stick, you know what I mean? It's not like right. a, it's not a like nice a Robert Bly from
0: Robert's Rules of Order to
2: <laughs> to uh to you Robert know, Bly, Native American Iron John, you know, it's like not going to be like that either, but uh but, but it, it does seem to be very helpful. And if you've ever attended one of these open space meetings, things go very fast.
3: Yeah, so let's talk about the structure of an uh, open space meeting then. The way an open space starts is that there's an issue for people to gather around. There's a problem that needs to be solved. There's some uh, documentation or notes that need to be produced. Or in the case of the events we do at these uh, developer events, people just want to get together and discuss the topic. The conversation is an end in itself, and that's perfectly okay. So, we have this reason for people getting together, and we find a facilitator for an open space, and that facilitator's job is to make sure that the people hosting the event have the right space and the right attitude to host an open space, because... Open space does not respond well to top-down authority. If you have an agenda, if you have an outcome that you want the open space to generate, it will fail because it's a creative endeavor in which everybody involved in the open space meeting is being creative and and producing the results or solving the problem at hand. So it starts with the facilitator setting the right tone before the event has ever happened. Then if everything is kosher, if uh, if the people hosting the event, the facilitator feel good about it and they go forward, they send out invitations. People show up on the appointed day, and they find a room with a circle of chairs and a uh, maybe a whiteboard or just tape on the wall marking a space-time matrix for the meeting, but it's empty. There's no agenda. And we have what's called an opening circle, where everybody sits in a circle. And as a facilitator, it's my job to set the tone, get people involved and focused on what we're doing, what the reasons we're here, and then get them thinking about issues that are important to them, important enough that they're willing to stand up and take responsibility for starting a conversation about them. And by the end of this opening circle, people will have suggested topics and put them on the board and we'll have a full agenda. So while it seems unstructured, it actually becomes a fairly formal event in that we have a space-time matrix. We meet at this time to talk about this topic.
2: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. You probably know that about 50% of the code in most enterprise applications is dedicated to data access, and about 90% of the bugs and performance bottlenecks come from this code too. That's why developers rely on Object Relational Mapping Tools, or ORM for short, like the Telerik Open Access ORM. It can help you build a persistent data layer in no time and squeeze out every bit of performance possible. Do you prefer to start from your database tables or from your classes? No problem. Telerik Open Access supports both forward and reverse mapping for six databases. Of course, you can enjoy link support, full Visual Studio integration, and advanced caching. With very little help from you, Telerik Open Access can quickly generate code as good as yours, minus the bugs. Tempted? Curious? Check it out today and download the free Open Access Express Edition at www.telerik.com. So that is the structure of an open space, but what is then a community courtyard, and how is that different?
3: Oh, great, great question. Community courtyard is something that came out of uh, PDC 2008. Uh, Stephen List, Doc List, is another open space facilitator in our community, and he's facilitated, I believe, every alt.net event that's happened to date. And he and I were working in the open spaces at PDC. Microsoft had taken some flack for having open spaces at the MVP summit in 2008 and not following the model as described in Harrison Owen's book. So they wanted to try it again, and this time they wanted to do it right, so they really left it open. So Doc and I came in and tried to run a traditional open space following the opening circle that I just described to you and all All the other tenets of open space, which we can get into in a little bit. And what we found is that open spaces really struggled at PDC because of the pull of all the new and shiny technology being described and released. And, you know, there's vendors all around. And what didn't happen was people didn't gel into a group. In an open space, people, at least for the time of the event, form a shared identity. We see ourselves as a team or a group, and that's very important to kind of build the energy uh, and the trust needed to share and uh, controversial ideas or solve difficult problems, and that didn't happen. There were some great conversations that happened at PDC, but the whole open space spirit didn't emerge.
0: I I remember PDC, weren't you guys like in the middle of
3: the vendor floor? We had an enormous space. I mean... I, I really give Microsoft credit for trying to do this right. They didn't give us any constraints on how to do this. They gave us plenty of resources, and we really gave it our best shot.
2: All I remember about that is, is an enormous crowd huddling around Anders. Just, uh, oh, trying to maybe catch the uh, you
3: mean Scott. Uh, pardon me. They're, they're all named Scott oh, over yeah. there. Uh, the VP. Scott Guthrie. Thank you, Scott Guthrie, yes. Scott Guthrie was in there. We had a huge crowd. And that's a great example of something that worked there. That was fairly spontaneous. We asked Scott if he would come. He said he would. Uh, We put it on the agenda, and people came out. And there was some give and take, and it was a good open conversation. Scott Guthrie is a great candidate for that because he's just very relaxed and willing to talk to people and take criticism, et cetera. But that wasn't really... Again, in the spirit of open space, it was something productive and useful. It allowed for serendipity. Uh, I liked that about it, and Doc did as well. So we discussed what was working what wasn't, how we could learn from this and use it. And Doc and I were approached by Bob Familiar, who was organizing the MSDN developer conferences about running open spaces in parallel. Mm -hmm. And we told him that open spaces wouldn't work. But aspects of open spaces would be very useful, and we'd love to be involved in that. And so that is how the community courtyard, if you've been to any of the MSD and DEVCONs, uh, have either of you been to them? I haven't been to one yet. Okay. There's not many left, I think. But they've been running now for a few months, and I've done two of them, and uh, Doc has done, I think, six probably. And that has worked pretty well because... We've created a space where people can create the agenda and talk about what's important to them in the moment uh, without the overhead of some prepared presentation. Uh, for instance, at, uh, at the Detroit MDC that I was at recently, we had a good conversation about uh, MEF, about the managed Extensibility Framework. That's not a topic that was on the agenda anywhere. It was just something the attendees wanted to discuss. And it turned out that the guy that wrote some of the hands-on labs for MEF was there, and he gave us, you know, a lot of good background information about it. All right. So that's the kind of thing we want to encourage with the community courtyard.
2: Now I know that you're a huge Twitter fan, mm-hmm. and I want to I want you to define some words for me because they you guys come out with new words for shit every freaking day. It drives me crazy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what the hell is a tweet up?
3: Okay, so a tweet-up is just a gathering of people. It's a fairly spontaneous gathering. You simply put out on Twitter that, hey, anybody in, for instance, in my case, in the Knoxville area, let's meet for lunch at this location on this day. And it's pretty interesting because you meet people that you may have only known on Twitter, or you meet people you didn't know on Twitter, and once you meet them in person, you follow them on Twitter, and you get to be friends that way. It's just a way of connecting with people. Uh,
2: Twitter tude
3: That's your attitude on Twitter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just can't be that. What's a what's a twaggle? A what? A twaggle. You're, these are your terms, not
3: mine. These, I'm just uh, these are not my terms. Okay, I don't know well, what that is. You,
2: you Twitter guys, all right. I've heard these <laughs> right. I've see so, you know every once in a while somebody a blog post and you know and and a, a twaggle was walking around. I'm like, what the heck is that?
3: Now here's something interesting. Is that I feel like Twitter is, uh, is kind of like what I'm trying to create when I do an open space in parallel with a uh, more traditional eyes front event, or what we're trying to do with the community courtyard, in that it, it allows the people that want to get together to get together. Twitter is very self-selective. Uh, if you're not interested in what I'm saying, don't listen. And if you start to annoy me, I won't listen to you anymore, but over time, people kind of gather in what uh, Seth Godin has called in his book, Tribes, as tribes of people with common interests. Yeah. And that's what I want to look to create for people is that, uh, that tribe added atmosphere at a developer event, because that becomes very attractive. If you get passionate people together with common interests, it's really easy to get drawn in.
2: What's a, what's a twosh?
3: I believe that's when you use all 140 characters.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's kind of embarrassing that I know these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: You know one of the one of the points that you left on the table there, right up front, we were talking about TDD, mm-hmm. and there's been sort of a storm around the whole test driven development versus test driven design, and the point being that. It's not. I guess that this is that Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood and 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 Uncle Bob are going at it around this stuff as well. That it's not about the test; it's about the design.
3: You know, Joel Spolsky said Twitter is kind of like a flash mob, and I think that's a great way to describe it. Sure, these memes come up very quickly, and everybody gets excited about them. Joel and Jeff make some offhand comments about uncle Bob's solid principles, which I thought were pretty misinformed, and I tweeted about that uh, and it builds energy and more people hear about this and they go listen to podcasts and they get frustrated and they all say oh ain 't it awful?" I suspect the result is that Uncle Bob's going to get to go on that uh, the Stack Overflow podcast and give them all a good lesson on what the solid principles are but I agree there's a lot of there's a lack of understanding out there and in my little talk I did at TechEd, uh, I tried to make it clear that test-driven development is about design. The, we're, we're just co-opting the tools of testing to do this style of development and design, and having some tests to run after the fact is a happy consequence of that.
2: You know, the, and it, it is good, you know, even though people get flustered and frustrated and you know, they'd get very passionate, and emotions run high, and things. It's this is what it's all about. It's discourse, it's conversation. You know, and and through hashing out these things, we finally come to some conclusions, right? It's this is I don't so think much. We ever
3: get to the conclusion stage? <laughs> I've been hashing stuff out now for years in this community, and we just keep going at it.
2: Well, you know, there maybe isn't a consensus, but everybody certainly draws their own conclusions about an issue after a while.
3: Okay. That's a great point because what that means is people are informed and then they're able to pick and choose the tools and the practices sure. that serve their needs.
2: Sure, and you know, and it's also good to know that there are a variety of points and perspectives out there based on the kind of work people are doing and the kind of tools that they need and the kind of methodologies that they want to use. And it's good to know that when there is a disagreement, that Well, at least there's somebody else who's going through the same things that I'm going through and they're, you know, they're they're speaking my language here. So I don't think I I think it's a good thing.
3: Well, and also somebody may have solved a problem you don't have yet. Uh, You know, if you hear somebody talking about using an inversion of control container and you're not building a lot of tiny classes that depend on one another, you won't understand why you would need such a thing. But you'll at least be aware that that's out there so that someday if you stumble on that problem, you'll know, oh, there's a solution out there. I've heard about this. Right, right. And that's the kind of thing that you don't get, I think, from an eyes-front traditional presentation. I give a lot of those talks, I've said in a lot of those talks, and I know a lot of speakers, and we're all very committed to sharing information, the best quality information we can. But we can't always hit the interests of everybody in the audience. And open spaces allow people to bring their interests up, and start a conversation around them.
2: And, you know, there, there is a, you know, like I said, emotions do run high, and sometimes it degrades into personal attacks, and it's really unfortunate because what that tells people is, you know, I have an opinion, but I'm afraid to give it because I don't want to get smacked down by some holier-than-thou guy that may know a lot more than I do, but still, it's humiliating, right?
3: Right, and, and I think that happens more on Twitter, and places where people aren't face to face, then I've never yeah. seen that happen in an open space. I've seen people have strongly Gods. disagree, yeah. but disagree with respect.
2: Yeah. That's what, that's the way it, that, and it, it always, you know, I'm always more willing to listen to somebody who is presenting a, a good, clean argument than, you know, somebody who's just telling me, this sucks, that sucks, don't do it that way, this is great, you know?
3: Right, right. And, you know, I think that, uh, I love it when somebody can make a good argument for somebody, something, and I still disagree with them. Sure. I can appreciate a well-structured argument, and I can understand how they've made the choice they have right. out of their experience. Right. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's, it's a myth that there's one thing called software development. Yeah. yeah it's well it's such a broad craft It's applied in so many areas. I mean, how can you pretend that the guy pouring concrete in the skyscraper is the same as the guy putting finish molding on cabinets in a personal home? That's right. You know, they're both working in construction, right? Yeah.
0: They're both building something.
3: Exactly. So I think it's great that there's a variety of opinions. I think it's great that we don't all agree because that keeps me rethinking my own assumptions.
2: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't tell you how, how much I, I, I can speak for Richard, too, I think, that how much the two of us have learned talking to people like you, you know, twice a week. Um, just in the variety of, of viewpoints and opinions in this community are so huge. And uh, everybody seems to have a good point.
3: So that brings up in my mind why I got into doing open spaces. I sat in the speaker's lounge at DevLink in 2007, 2007. I believe it was, Uh, I sat between David Larrabee and Kathleen Dollard.
2: Oh, that must have been great, awesome. (laughs) Can can you
3: start to see the sparks flying here? Yeah. There were just polar different opinions expressed with passion and respect.
2: And respect. And,
3: And it was just one of the best conversations I could imagine being part of. Yeah. And what frustrated me after the fact was I realized this was such a great conversation, it made me think so much, I really enjoyed it attendees at DevLink didn't have access to that conversation. Yeah, I know it. So I set out to bring those conversations to the attendees. And uh, what resulted was I got involved in open spaces as a format for doing that. Hmm. And I encouraged speakers at the events I'm at to not spend time in the speaker's lounge unless they're working on their presentation. Otherwise, if they want to hang out somewhere, come hang out in the open space or in the community courtyard. Right. Uh, there's a link to Wally McClure's podcast, the ASP.net podcast. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can find that link here. It's shrinkster.com 1440, the letter O. And that's a conversation that we had at CodeStock here in Knoxville last year at our first CodeStock
2: conference. CodeStock, like Woodstock? (laughs) Like Woodstock,
3: baby. Yeah, and we're going to be having that event again this year, uh, June 26th and 27th, is, here uh, in Knoxville. If you want to check it out, it's codestock.org.
2: Timothy Leary's ghost but, going to be uh, entertaining. <laughs> what,
3: what's going to be entertaining? Is, is Timothy
2: Leary's ghost going to be entertaining? Oh, right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it, um, Michael Neal on. came up with that name, and it's quite it's awesome. entertaining and, no, it's and awesome. fitting.
0: Dude, don't try the Brown Class Library. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't you Tell your friends. <laughs> Don't try the brown glass library. Oh, <laughs> uh, everyone, uh. just stop freaking out. The rain will stop.
3: <laughs> Get off the tower when the wind blows.
2: Wavy Gravy's got a tent on the east side. Go there if you're having a bad time, man. <laughs>
3: No, I assure you, if you come to Codestock, you don't have to sleep out in a tent. We'll keep you dry. We'll feed you good food. It's well worth it.
2: Everybody uh, has their clothes on the whole time, Yeah,
3: and Yes, and that's fortunate, given this community. Yeah, I was yeah. just
2: going to say that. <laughs> Put it on!
3: Put it all on! Uh, there, I was showing my wife a picture of the women in technology meetup at Codemash, and out of 550 people, there were eight people at that women in technology uh. table.
2: I'm going to start a new um, group, men in technology. Because we need a representation.
3: We're the underrepresented majority, of course. Uh, So the video that Wally took on the ASP.net podcast is great because what it shows is people sitting around the outside of the conversation. Because I didn't give them a speaker's lounge, they had to sit in there if they wanted to work. And you can watch as the conversation evolves, people getting up and standing around the circle and then starting to contribute and really get involved. And I think that's the power of open spaces, is that people want to learn and they want to contribute. They want to share with one another. Uh, We just need to provide an environment for that. Right. And one thing I've discovered uh, is that location is very important to that. The open space needs to be somewhere that there's foot traffic so that people can find you and get involved in the conversation. At the Detroit uh, MDC event, we pulled the community courtyard out of the room we had reserved and put it out in the hallway because that way people could walk by and see us having a conversation and get involved.
0: It's funny because I thought one of the challenges that PDC had for you guys was that it was almost too exposed.
3: Yeah, it was, it was really too big a space to have an intimate conversation. And people wandered in. They could wander in so far away from where I might be standing at any point. If I walked over to try to explain to them what was going on, they may have already wandered out of the space. But it, it was a learning experience. I learned lots being there, and I think in the end we we made it a very made a productive use of the space. One thing that I learned there, and uh, I've just passed this on, is any if you find yourself in the situation, is I often know people wondering why and have a conversation with them. What I learned is if I say, "Let's go sit down over in this empty circle of chairs and have the same conversation," other people feel welcome then to come and sit down and join in the conversation or just listen and learn.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's the way it always is. That uh, you're in that space and there's a passion speech going on, and people are walking around in between the you know the in between the sessions and oh, my God, what's going on over here? It does tend to draw a crowd.
3: Right. And all we're doing is formalizing that, which happens anyway. I mean, those of us that are speakers or are involved in the community and know a lot of people, that's our natural way of behaving at an event or a conference. Uh, but I want to be able to bring people in that this is a new experience for them and let them uh, share in that uh, experience. You know, the way that Hor- Harrison Owen started Open Spaces was he ran a – traditional conference. And he put all this time into it over 10, 12 months preparing it. And what he discovered was most of the energy and the productivity and the conversation took place during the coffee breaks. Yeah. So he decided to have, an, a, to have a meeting format that was all coffee break all the time.
0: Excellent. The only problem with that concept is you can't get your boss to pay for it. Like you need to have a conference around that.
3: It is a productive format. And actually, open space is not anything new and radical. It's used in the business world all the time and in government organizations to solve problems. Uh, It's pretty well structured and pretty well known. Uh, And the way that I've been doing these, I've been doing them parallel with a traditional conference so that people who only go to an event when their boss pays them have an opportunity to be exposed to this other way of interacting. This different format.
2: Alan, how far away are we, do you think, from, or have you thought about this at all, from from effectively doing this remotely, where everybody's sitting at their desk and, and, and having as good an experience as you can have uh, in, a, in, a, in a room with a bunch of people?
3: Well, I think that's called IRC, and it predates the web.
2: Well, no, uh, I, know, I mean, before <laughs> IRC, uh, beyond IRC, I mean... Uh, IRC, as you know, can get out of hand pretty quick, but, you know, in, in some kind of, I don't know, whether it's video or audio or, or some combination, you know, like Second Life, is Second Life actually viable for doing this kind of stuff? I,
3: perhaps. I'm not really interested in that. I think that in order to, that one of the keys, okay, one, one of the roles of the facilitator is to hold space and time. So when I do, and that I know that sounds trippy, but uh, what that means is that my job is to make sure the space that we share, that we open together, is honored and nobody tries to dominate or control it and, and keep it a safe place for the will of the community and the creativity of the attendees to emerge. And I really think that you need to be together In, uh, IRL rather than IRC in real life, uh, for that to (laughs) really happen. Once you've been together as a group in real life, then I think those remote technologies are great for continuing the conversation.
0: Yeah, and you make the point that we see the Twitter conversations get so far out of hand, well, stuff that would just never happen
2: face to face. That's exactly what I was just going to say, Richard. Is that people tend to it, it's not more passionate, but it, more rude, really, when they don't have to face somebody, you know, and you know, in in a, in the same room.
3: Well, it's very hard to, to dis to dismiss somebody to their face. Uh, I mean, I've said in open space conversations where somebody has a completely different perspective than me. They could be totally geared towards CMMI or some other approach to uh, or methodology for software development, but they genuinely believe it, and it genuinely works for them. Uh, I like to tell people that Waterfall works, too. Read the article, uh, They Write the Right Stuff, about the NASA software developers, you know, it's more expensive and it takes longer, but it works.
0: <laughs> when it's done properly.
3: Exactly. So when somebody's in, in front of you and you're, you're in this environment where you've opened space together and you feel like you're part of the same team for a while, those things add up to a much more respectful and productive conversation. And it's hard to duplicate those things without everybody being in the room together. True.
2: Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh make activereports.net among other really awesome things. Activereports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor royalty free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at DataDynamics So let's talk about some of these conferences that we have been casually bringing up here. Code Stock. When? Where?
3: What? Now, code Stock is in Knoxville, Tennessee. The second annual Code Stock is going to be June twenty sixth and twenty seventh of two thousand nine. And another one that I'm in, I'm involved in organizing. Code Stock. I used to run the user group here, and the user group puts this event on. Uh, and then DevLink, which is in Nashville, it was in Murfreesboro last year, but we're moving back to our previous place, uh, is going to be August 13th through 15th. It's going to be three days this year, and uh, that's a great conference. That's It'll probably be over 600 people this year, uh, and it's a terrific regional conference, uh, very inexpensive, but with a great uh Cast of speakers, and last year I ran an open space there that was just terrific. People, I, I had to really encourage people at CodeMash last month to not compare the open space at CodeMash to the open space at DevLink because each event is, you know, has its own character depending on who's there and, and what their interests are at the time. But those are two great conferences we have here in Tennessee each year, and I'd encourage people to look them up. Code Stock is at Codestock.org and DevLink is at DevLink dot net.
2: Okay. And uh w- and Codemash too, of course. We've been talking about that Oh yeah,
3: Codemash is fantastic conference. Happens in January at an indoor water park in Sandusky, Ohio. And you guys did some some uh episodes from there, I believe, last month.
2: Yeah, we did a couple, yeah.
3: Yeah, and that's that's a great event as well. That's uh that's another good regional. It, the, our uh, Microsoft region here in Tennessee is the heartland, and that yeah. runs from Michigan down to Tennessee. So we, uh, we have CodeMash up at the top part of our region and then DevLink and uh, CodeStock down here on the southern part.
2: Hey, was that panel discussion off the hook or what? <laughs>
3: I'm sure it had nothing to do with the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, something about polishing
0: <laughs> off a bottle of bourbon over the course of a panel discussion that sets the t- tone.
2: It really was great. I wish, I wish so many more of our shows could be like that.
3: Well, as soon as I saw you had Leon on the panel, I knew you would have a good conversation. Yeah, because uh, uh, I've said in. Open spaces and had lots of conversations with Leon, and and he's just very well informed and very opinionated, and he often doesn't have the mainstream view. Yeah. Uh, what makes for a dull conversation is when everybody agrees. Oh sure. Nobody learns anything that way.
2: But you know, Leon, he sort of like held back until like fifteen minutes to the end, and then he's and then it was Jerry Springer.
3: Well, yeah, he was trying to be on his good behavior for you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's unfortunate. <laughs>
3: Well, can we take a minute here and, and just talk about the principles behind open space because i I really feel like if we leave this conversation without uh, oh, mentioning sure. these, we 've done a disservice to the listener Sure absolutely So there are four uh, what are they called four rules and one law that govern the way open spaces operate, and the rules are really they're more like guidelines they're uh, a general way of thinking and approaching. A, an open space meeting, and they, they are this. Whatever happens is the only thing that could have. Whenever, excuse me, whoever comes is the right people. Whenever it starts is the right time, and when it's over, it's over. And the idea there, in my understanding, is to encourage people to release their attachment to some objective or some end, the idea that we have to start and end at a certain time, uh, and kind of move the goal a notch higher to whatever it takes to have this conversation or to solve this problem at hand, we're gonna do it with the people we have and the resources we have at hand. And that brings people's focus to the moment, this time we have together to approach these ideas or solve these problems. Uh, and that's just that's a standard of all open space gatherings. And then okay. there's one law, and that's called the law of two feet. And I love it. It uh, basically means you have two feet, and it's your responsibility to use them. The law of two feet says that if you aren't benefiting from the conversation that you're in, or you aren't contributing productively then it's your job to get up and go find some place to be productive, even if that means you just go to the bar and have a beer. Mm -hmm. Personally, I've had a lot of great conversations at the bar, and if I'm not having fun in the conversation I'm in, that sounds like a great option to go and explore the opportunities there. Yep. But what that does is that puts the responsibility for a successful event on the attendees. Because the things that make open space a success are passion and responsibility. You have to be really interested in the ideas, and then you have to be willing to take responsibility for them. And the law of two feet is challenging for some people because it violates the social contract. It's considered rude to get up and walk out if you don't like the topic at hand or you don't like the way the conversation's going. So we have to make it very clear, I do as a facilitator, that that's your job. You know, whatever your experience, whatever benefit you get out of this event is up to you. Nobody else is going to solve the problems for you. Right. And that, that means that open space isn't for everyone, and that's perfectly okay. That's why I love doing these in parallel with a traditional conference, so people can peek their head in, see if it's interesting to them, see if it's something that works for them, and if not, go right back to a good eyes-front presentation by a top-notch speaker. That's perfectly okay. But for some people... It really is the, the right place, and they didn't know it existed until we bring it to them and, and show them what's available.
1: Yeah,
2: how, many, how long have you been doing this open space stuff?
3: I started last year. I, I sat down in uh, November of 2007 with uh, the, the five people in my user group that had been most active and, and explained to them that I wasn't going to do this anymore. I wasn't going to be president. I wasn't going to hold handle the user group by myself. I wanted to do something else, but I didn't know what it was, and I wouldn't know that until I stopped doing this. And And they took the reins and have run the East EastTennessee.net user group far better than I ever could have. And so that freed me up to explore what I wanted to do next, and I kept thinking about that experience I told you about where I was in the speaker's lounge with Dave Larrabee and Kathleen Dollard, and I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to have those conversations but I want to bring them to the attendees. And that conversation took place at DevLink 2007, right after the first alt.net conference, Mm -hmm. which was the first I had heard of an open space gathering. So I started looking into that, and I thought, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So I set about to try to schedule some open space events and did my first one at CodeStock last June. Now, I'll tell you, if I'd known what I was getting into, I might have been more hesitant. But in typical <laughs> fashion, I just dove right into it before I knew any better. Yeah. And I, I brought a bit of controversy down on my head by making some mistakes and not following the process fully. But that's how I learned. And the events I've run have, have con- they've gotten better progressively. And I've done less. The, the facilitator of an event is actually supposed to be totally present and totally invisible at the same time. Right. My job is to 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 do work without doing. It's very Taoist. <laughs> but but do, I found but, do that not. I don't have to do so much once the opening circle's open. I just need to be around and make sure people know that the that everything's going to run smoothly, even when it's obviously not running smoothly. If there's facility changes and things like that, it's my job to not freak out. And then the rest of the attendees don't freak out. Well, it's obviously going to work itself out. And it always does. Yeah.
0: Do you deal with certain personalities that are just problematic in an open space?
3: On Stephen List's blog, on Doctor list blog, he, he lists uh, some open space patterns and anti-patterns,
2: uh,
3: uh, <laughs> and uh, he describes uh, some, some personalities, some patterns. One of them is the conclusion jumper, and that's a person who hears you know the first three seconds of what you have to say and assumes they know everything else you're going to say and yeah. jumps to the conclusion before that's, you're finished making your case. Uh, that's and, really Yeah, annoying. that happens. But it's also the responsibility of the group to bring that in line. Right. If somebody tries to take control of the conversation, you can say, that's a good idea. Why don't we schedule that in a later session? <laughs> and, and allow them to take responsibility, because they're obviously passionate about something if they want to dominate the conversation to talk about it. Yeah. Let them take responsibility for it at a different place and time.
0: I feel like, you know, this is a fairly... Um,
3: so. Separate- oh. I, I don't want to go there with it. Uh, I would say it's more group dynamics.
2: <laughs> what was that all about? Did what, Richard? You were you were in the middle of a sentence there. I think Alan didn't hear. I you. was I was fumbling, and he already answered.
3: <laughs> oh, I thought you said, "Is this therapy?" Uh, no, no,
0: no, I didn't. I didn't say therapy. I misunderstood
3: you. See, I just played that conclusion jumper. There for that you. was awesome. <laughs> what a great example. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Do it again. That was not planned.
3: <laughs> that was a little little unplanned role playing for you.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh and I was just thinking that this is an interest, you know, we have this reputation in this industry as somewhat socially clumsy. And here we have this fairly sophisticated social engine to to communicate complex topics and uh d- wouldn't everybody else just call this a conversation?
3: It is a conversation, but putting some structure around it brings more focus. And with the greater focus comes greater learning. I mean, you and I could have this same conversation we'd have at an open space in the hotel lobby at the end of a day of a conference. We could have the same conversation. But the fact that it's in an open space and it's been scheduled and we're there for that purpose kind of brings a sense of urgency to the group around whatever topic we're discussing. And I think you're right that as an industry, we're we're considered somewhat socially clumsy, but we know our topics, we know our subject matter, we know our craft, and when that's the topic at hand, uh, people tend to be able to discuss it uh, productively. Now, what's what's interesting to me is that not everybody discusses things in the same way. Right. Uh, I know some people in the community that are very well-read. They're very thoughtful, but they don't necessarily push their ideas out there. And I love having them in an open space so I can just turn and say, well, tell us what you think. And then right. we'll get some very deep insight, but I just have to know that from my association with the person. They that, have
0: to pull them out. They're yeah, to you know, jump the thing in there that, on their own. The thing that's really compelling about a guy like Leon is not only deeply knowledgeable but glib. Yes. And <laughs> in this model, I, there's lots of folks. I've certainly have had this experience on .NET rocks. Guys who who write great blog posts but struggle to communicate that kind of material verbally. So it, it does seem like an open space definitely leans on a certain set of skills that not every really great technologist has.
3: I, I think you're right, and people have have brought that up as we've done more of these open spaces and several of us have been in the events together, we've gotten to know each other's opinions, and that's why it's really my mission to bring in new opinions and fresh ideas uh, to, to kind of challenge the group. Uh, I think it's important as a facilitator that I set the tone so that everyone at the open space has the attitude of encouraging participation from everyone there. So it's not just me asking someone what their opinion is, but that we all have that idea in mind that we're, we're there to come together as a group and share ideas. And we can't do that just by talking. We have to listen as well.
2: Amen to that. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> just
3: kidding. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh. So We're just open a good day here. is not the only way to do this kind of open format meeting. And if anyone's interested, they don't have to call it an open space. Uh, there's something called bar camps that occur around the country, which yep. are unscripted uh, events or conferences where people get together and they come up with the agenda on the fly.
2: Nice.
3: It's perfectly fine to call it that. You can call it an unconference. The m- thing that's important to me is I want to see... Every code camp and every day of .NET and every conference of any size that I'm at have a place to allow for serendipity, a place where things, topics that aren't on the agenda that the people organizing the conference didn't think of ahead of time to come out and be discussed.
2: Yeah. Well said, serendipity, because that's usually what happens. You know, some a couple of people are are thinking about something concurrently and happens all the time. And, uh, you know, you'll have a meeting of the minds there.
3: Right. And it happens anyway. If we just give a little structure, then people can go there and more people can benefit from the conversation. And, And that's really what I want to happen. I don't want to be a part. Anytime I find myself in a privileged position, I want to kick the door down. Yeah. I don't want to be in an inner sanctum. I don't want to be part of an elite. If I do that, I stop being effective. I stop helping to others to learn and I stop learning myself because I'm not exposing myself myself to new challenges
2: good stuff Alan where are you going to be next
3: wow let's see I'm going to be at the Richmond Code Camp in April and I'll be at the uh, alt.net conference in Seattle at the the uh, end of February I won't be facilitating that one but I will be there participating in that open space
0: going to the MVP Summit as well
3: yes yes got my mvp in january so i got my ticket to ride
2: congratulations thank you all right well we'll see you there awesome thanks a thanks, lot guys. this has been a it's been a great talk alan and uh, it's great to know that there are really passionate people out there in the community such as yourself doing this kind of stuff
3: well i look forward to seeing you guys at the next event as well
2: all right excellent and we'll see you next time on .NET Rock.